Spectral Podcast is brought to you by Myla International. Myla is a leading provider of critical care products for all animals throughout the world. Since 1991, Myla International has consistently prided itself in the areas of innovation, education, and customer service. Whether it's for a urinary catheter, nasogastric tube, synthesis catheter, or extension set, Myla's right for your veterinary clinic. For more information, go to www.mylaint.com. Hi, Vectoral here today with Amy Newfield, who's a CBT, BTS, and emergency critical care. Amy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, do you mind just explaining a little bit of what you do, who you are, and what BTS ECC even means? Sure. So I am a veterinary technician specialist in emergency critical care, which means I am a geek about all things emergency. I currently work for Blue Pearl Veterinary Partners, and I'm based out of Massachusetts. We have two hospital locations here. I do still work on the floor, not as much as I used to, because I am now focused on large-scale initiatives for the company, which has multiple hospitals across the U.S. And my main focus is uh, team development and training and creating a happy team culture. So I love it. I think it's great and um, having a lot of fun with it. So that's a little bit about myself. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we're really honored to have Amy as part of our vet girl team. She heads our veterinary technician track. All right. So today I wanted to talk to you about jugular catheters. Now, this is something that a lot of staff don't put in in their typical patient. We do it more in the emergency setting and the critical care setting. And I do think it's really important. A lot of people are really intimidated to put this in. And they're intimidated because they think it's complicated, where I say, if you can do phlebotomy, you can put in a jugular catheter. So first of all, let's talk about when do you actually use a jugular catheter over venous access devices such as a short peripheral IV catheter? Yeah, good question. So typically when we're looking to place a jugular catheter, it's because it's going to be a patient that needs multiple blood draws and is going to be staying with us for probably more than a couple of days. Sometimes we'll place one in that's only staying for, you know, 24 hours, but they're staying at least for 24 hours and they're going to need a lot of blood drawn throughout that course of time. The other things that we think about is certainly peritoneal nutrition, so IV nutrition. If we are needing to back up this patient with PPN, for example, then we're going to start to think about placing that central line, that jugular catheter, because of the osmolarity of that that fluid. The other times that we think about it is certainly when we're thinking about multiple drugs and multiple fluids going into this patient. So great example that I always think about is diabetic ketoacidosis, right? Your DKA cat. We typically have them on multiple CRIs and you might be able to get one catheter in the patient, peripheral catheter in that patient. Otherwise, unless you want to start putting multiple peripheral catheters, in order to do multiple drugs and multiple fluids, you need multiple catheters. And most jugular catheters come with multiple ports. And so in like a triple lumen catheter, this is a catheter that has actually three catheters within one. It makes it sound like it's going to be gigantic, but it's really not. So um, our hospital actually has up to a six lumen catheter, so six ports coming out of this one catheter. So you can have six different combinations of fluids and drugs and everything running in it. And so it's kind of great because you can push a lot of drugs and fluids in and you can also get blood back. They tend to have less infection rate and less phlebitis or thrombophlebitis issues because of the fact that they're longer and so they cause less irritation to the vessel. And they typically are made with a a softer material than our over the 
the needle catheters that we use in our peripheral veins. All right, great. Well, we oftentimes hear the lingo when you watch whatever, ER or Grey's Anatomy of a pick line. So this is a peripherally inserted central line or a pick line. Do you mind just describing the difference between jugular catheters, triple lumens, a long IV catheter or a pick line? Yeah, so a jugular catheter, when we talk about central lines in veterinary medicine, 99% of the time we are going to focus on jugular catheter. In fact, it could be like 99.5%. And so when we talk about central lines, that's sitting in the central circulation, which is going to be your vena cava. This is a vessel that runs the midline of your body. So it starts up towards the head and it works its way all the way down through the central portion of your body. It's the the biggest vessel pretty much that you have in your, your body. The goal is to, when placing a jugular catheter, you're going to actually feed this into the central circulation. And so you're going to be able to get blood back, push drugs very quickly, right there. The heart's pretty much right there. When we talk about a peripherally inserted central catheter, in veterinary medicine, it's kind of a loose term because in human medicine, they can confirm central placement through a peripheral vein, whereas in veterinary medicine, we probably are guessing a lot of the times. And so a pick line is a very common term in human medicine. And what it means is you're going to start in a peripheral leg or a peripheral extremity. Uh, if you were to start, say, in the cephalic or probably more commonly the saphenous or the femoral vein, then you're going to insert a very long catheter into that vessel, which will eventually terminate and exit into the actual the caudal portion of the vena cava. Confirmation of placement of an actual peripherally inserted central catheter in veterinary medicine isn't something we typically do, where in human medicine, when they're placing pick lines, they typically are confirming placement that, yes, this thing ended up in central circulation through the peripheral area. In veterinary medicine, we might think it is, but we're probably guessing true placement of it. And so we use the term pick line in veterinary medicine, but we probably use it incorrectly more often than not. And so if we're inserting a long line through a peripheral catheter, our goal is certainly to place it into the central circulation, but because we're not confirming it, we're, we're just going to guess. <laughs> so that's kind of the difference, which is why we typically just use the jugular because then we know for sure it's in central circulation and that's where we want it to be. Great. Thank you. Now, when it comes to picking the correct jugular catheter size and the number of lumens for your patient, how do you determine what size you should use like for a cat versus a medium dog versus a large dog? Yeah, so there's so many sizes out there, and it is is a little daunting because it's not just the diameter of the catheter that you have to consider, it's also the length. And companies like Myla, for example, do a really great job because they are focused on veterinary medicine and animal patients. But some of the other companies that we get our jugular catheters from, they aren't necessarily. And there'll be a very small catheter, for example, you'll find a five French catheter, which for cats, for our jugulars, we typically use maybe a three and a half or a five French, or sometimes they even have weird six French or something like that. So those are typically our sizes that we use for cats and small dogs. 
but the length of them are gigantic. There's the longest catheter you've ever seen, and your veterinary patient is a lot shorter than a human patient. So it's very interesting sometimes length versus the actual diameter of the catheter in some of the different brands that are out there. Now, typically for our dogs, we tend to use a seven French or up. So it really depends on, you know, how big the dog is. If the bigger that we can get in the better. And as far as the number of ports go, it typically is how complicated the case is. Obviously we want the maximum number of ports that we're gonna need. And so in DKAs, I would say minimally like a triple lumen, so a three port catheter. Um, in our patient that might be septic before they start having coagulation issues, and that's important to note as well, we don't place jugular catheters in anything that can't clot. So we, if it doesn't have platelets, or its coagulation factors are askew, that's a no, because then they'll just, obviously when you you puncture the jugular, we could end up with bleeding out and dying, and that's bad by all counts. So we don't do jugular catheters in animals that can't clot. But if we can place it in a septic patient before they start having clotting issues, we're probably gonna think about maybe a, a five lumen catheter placement, because septic patients typically, we're on vasopressors, we're on you know crystalloids, we might be getting a, a plasma transfusion, we might be also on a Reglan CRI that's completely different. So we might need Need all of those ports in that patient. How about you? Do you have any other tricks or tips in terms of picking the numbers of ports or sizes? Uh, my tricks that I usually recommend are, first of all, making sure that your patient doesn't have any contraindications. So the biggest one that you mentioned is being coagulopathic and that they can handle the very, very light sedation. And my second thing is adequate sedation. I love for cats, butorphanol and some type of benzodiazepine. Um, you don't need to completely anesthetize these patients in order to do it. I'm not a huge fan of using propofol in the critically ill septic patient or the DKA patient that could potentially become apneic. So appropriate sedation, I think, is really important. And then having everything set up in advance. So making sure you have two to three people to help you, that you feel comfortable, that you've seen videos on how to do this. And then if you can put a regular short jugular catheter in and feed it over the wire, I really like the Seldinger techniques because they're easier with the wire. So those are my three hints for making a jugular catheter placement go really well. In terms of the number of lumens, I would say the sicker they are, the more lumens they have. <laughs> and I agree with you, bigger is better most of the time uh, with these jugular catheters. Remember Poisset's law, which basically says you can't really bolus IV catheters quickly through a long central line. So if you have a dying GDV in front of you, you do not put in a central line. You put in a short, huge cephalic. So it's based on the overall length and the diameter. My classic interpretation of Poisset's law is try sipping your pop through a coffee stirrer versus a regular straw. And that's Poisset's law. The narrower the diameter, the longer the catheter, the harder it is to increase flow. So if it's a patient that is just getting vasopressors or nutrition, again, we want an appropriate size lumen. In terms of number of ports, I would say it depends on if my patient is undergoing parental nutrition, such as PPN or TPN. Remember, total parental nutrition 
has to go through a sterile catheter. When you put in jugular catheters, it should always be done with aseptic technique. So I would say the sicker they are, the more lumens they get because one is a vasopressor, one is a dextrose CRI, one is TPN, one lumen I may save specifically for blood draw. So again, um, I usually will put in a triple if my patient truly needs a central line. And keep in mind, we're not doing this in every single patient. Uh, we're doing this for the septic patient, the post-op patient, the DKA. And when in doubt, if you have a post-op really sick septic peritonitis, the ideal time to put them in is not when they've recovered in the run. It's when you wheel them out post-operatively, the patient is still anesthetized, but waking up, that's a perfect time to put in a double lumen or a triple lumen catheter. All right, say we put this jugular catheter in, and we have a ton of videos on and blogs on how to put in a central line on our Vet Girl channel, so definitely check that out on our website. Once we get this catheter in, what type of dressing and change protocol is recommended? Are we changing this every single day? So we typically will unwrap. So typically for wrapping, we'll place like a sterile dressing over the site. It could be a sterile gauze. It could be a tegaderm. Typically, I don't use a tegaderm, but I do know occasionally facilities that'll use tegaderms on a daily basis. That's not my thing. Um, a telfa pad. I like telfa pads and I like sterile gauze and I'll put that over the insertion site and then I'll wrap the neck up. And then every 24 hours, we will unwrap and we will look at the actual insertion site for signs of infection, inflammation, irritation. We will flush all the ports if the patient reacts in any way because they should not. They, but if they react like it's painful during flushing, at that moment, we're going to think they have some type of itis, right? So some type of inflammatory process. And we probably need to think about pulling it because we don't want that patient to have inflammation of the vessel that could lead to a secondary infection or, or other issues. So we typically just do it every 24 hours, look at the insertion site. If it looks nice and clean and dry and all that wonderful stuff and it doesn't look inflamed, we just put another sterile bandage in and wrap it all back up again. So um, how about you? Do you do anything differently than that? Amy, I feel like you're not using the life-saving goop. <laughs> just kidding. I know. I've never heard of this life-saving yeah. goop. I'm going to have to think kidding. about the goop. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I use life-saving betadine goop over the, <laughs> the stoma. Um, I don't tr traditionally use triple antibiotic in cats because of the rare, 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 rare risk of anaphylaxis. So either use nothing, uh, telfa, or just a little bit of betadine goop. All right. What techniques do you use to minimize catheter occlusions or infections? Yeah. So the controversy of do you use heparinized saline with central line catheters for versus just regular saline when flushing. Um, in veterinary medicine, there is no data-driven evidence to support using heparinized saline or not using heparinized saline. Now, there were studies that have come out in veterinary medicine that have kind of said, just like human medicine, heparinized saline is no longer indicated for peripheral catheter flushing. I personally, and on the hospitals I've worked at, do not use heparinized saline for actually flushing central line catheters either. That's not a thing that we do in our hospitals. We don't seem to have an increased risk of all of a sudden the catheter and all the ports clotting. That isn't something that happens in our hospital. But can I say definitively that you Definitely, it's definitely okay not to use heparinized saline. No, but the risk of using heparinized saline is, and to me, greater 
than the risk of not using zeppardized saline. In just my own personal preference, but when we talk about recommendations, I always like to say, is there a study for that? And the answer is no, not really. So for our hospital, we typically flush the unused ports with just normal saline, 0.9% sodium chloride, and we typically do it every six hours on the unused ports. If the ports are getting used, the likelihood of any sort of clot building up is, is pretty minimal. And then in between, if we're not using that port, we'll flush it and we'll just leave it again every six hours. We'll just flush it with the 0.9% sodium chloride. Justine, what do you guys do? Do you use tepronide saline or not? What does that look like in your hospital? We typically only use saline flushes. Um, the only time we use tepronide saline is if we're doing the pullback technique in order to obtain a blood sample. So we'll use hep saline um, to flush the line. We'll leave half a mil within the syringe, and then we'll draw blood back to get a pre-sample of 2.5 mils, disconnect that syringe, get another sample, which we'll use as our blood sample, so for blood glucose, and please draw the least amount of blood that you need because we end up seeing cats that become anemic from getting excessive blood removed. Once we've gotten our sample, then we flush back the 2.5 mils mixed with the 0.5 mils of hep saline and then flush it one more time. Um, so that's generally the only time that we'll uh, use hep saline. I don't think it's necessarily contraindicated unless your patient's coagulopathic uh, with a triple lumen catheter, but you do want to be careful, especially in pediatric patients or neonatal patients, because they can become heparinized from it. Um, so obviously be careful, but in general, no, we just have reverted to LRS flushes or saline flushes. All right. Any other last hacks you want to leave with us when it comes to jugular catheter placement or jugular catheter care? No, I think we've talked about a lot of it. It is, you know, I was laughing because you said, you said if someone can, you know, do phlebotomy, they can place a, a jugular catheter. And I always tell people, don't look at the head when you're placing a jugular catheter because the head is the thing that intimidates everybody, right? Just think of it as an arm and it's just a vein in an arm. It just happens to have a head on top of it, right? And that's what I always tell people um, because if you can place a catheter in a a peripheral vein, then you can place a, a central line catheter. They are, you know, like you said, bigger deal catheters because you have to make sure you maintain sterility. You do need to scrub the insertion site. It is technically very much like a surgical procedure. You're going to open up the package. It is exposed to air. You need to wear sterile gloves. All of those big things. I think the only other thing is just making sure that your patient is stable enough to place one of these catheters because there are some contraindications in very sick patients uh, in placing these because a lot of times they need some level of sedation or they need to not move for 10, 15 minutes in order to get this procedure done. And then obviously the big one, whenever we're placing a central line catheter in the jugular, taking a post-procedural uh, x-ray to make sure that you're terminating outside the right atrium and that your catheter is not sitting inside the the heart or that you fed it all the way down into the abdomen because that certainly is possible as well. Otherwise, just making sure that you do good standard of care on these catheters. They actually provide a lot of great ability for us to do multiple drugs and fluids and get blood back and they cause less trauma to the patient in the long run. As a, as a technician, I love when my patients have uh, jugular catheters because it just makes my blood drawing life so much easier. I'm not sweating bullets as I'm coming up to this patient going, how am I going to get the six mils of blood that my doctor wants from me? I go, oh, it's got 
a jug cath. I can get all the blood I want. So yeah, they are great when, when you uh, really need them. So I totally agree. And I already mentioned my life hacks when it comes to putting in these jugular catheters. I would say, again, the biggest thing is making sure you're well prepared, uh, making sure you're draping, you use sterile technique, you use adequate sedation. And again, these are a lot easier to put in than most people think. And like we've mentioned in previous Becquerel podcasts, whenever you do a procedure like this, please, please, please make sure to do a lateral radiograph to ensure that there's proper placement, whether or not that's an esophagosomy tube, a nasoesophageal feeding tube, a nasogastric tube, or even a central line. Really important that we take the time to do that lateral radiograph. We don't charge a full chest radiograph cost for it. We do a quote tube check, uh, which is approximately $70 at our clinic, but really important that we do that. Well, thank you so much again, Amy. Really appreciate all your feedback and help on this important topic. Thank you so much for having me. 